say good morning to you and welcome. I also wanted to always, uh, every week, welcome those who might be listening or watching online. It's great that you took some time to, to check us out and pray that this time together, studying God's Word is a blessing to you no matter uh, where you are watching this or right here in the room. We, uh, as I said before, are uh, right in the middle of a series called Starting Point. And I'm not going to review every week right now, but what I do want to do is just remind you of why we're doing this. In, in essence, a lot of times when we first began to understand about God, uh, oftentimes that's when we were kids or maybe teenagers for many of us. And a lot of times that understanding of God when we were a child Eventually, it begins to bump up again, real-life situations and the complexities of life. And honestly, even if everything that we were taught as a kid was true, the complexity of life may be complicated. And at the very least, we begin to have questions, and sometimes those questions begin to chip away at our faith. And I suppose one thing we could do as a church is say, just listen to us, don't ask any questions, and let's just, you know, move forward. But that... that that wouldn't be good, and that one's not what God wants. Uh, what we want to do is to ask questions, to explore faith. And, and so in this series, what we're doing is pretending like we all are starting over. We're all going back to the starting point, and what would the journey of understanding God look like if we all started over? And so today is a perfect day to hear if, you, uh, if this is your first week. And the reason is, is because today's message is really going to key in on the central focus and the heart of the Bible. <clears throat> what I would say, the greatest joy of having Jesus as your Savior, the greatest joy of being a Christian. As we get started today, I just kind of want to level the playing field a little bit. And I, I want you to really see and understand that you have a connection in a certain way with everyone else in this room, the people sitting in front of you, behind you, and beside you. And the connection, or the thing that I want you to know is this, that we all, every single person in this room, have the inability to be the people we want to be. That every single in person in this room, I'm not talking about career, I'm talking about attitude, I'm talking about priority, I'm talking about react, how you react to things. Every single person in this room has tried to be or, or change something and have found it to be really hard. Um, quick example for me is um, I'm in charge of breakfast. And there are more days than not at night where I'm like, all right, I've got eight hours of sleep coming or six or whatever it might be. And when I wake up, the, the, the crabby dad from the, that morning is going to be gone, okay? I'm going to change. And then something happens or someone's goofing around and, and, and my crabbiness comes back. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe that I, I went back to what I said I was not going to do. Sometimes we surprise ourselves. Can I give you another example of just, you know, sometimes it's good to hear that the pastor is just like you, but probably worse, okay? Um, so this couple weeks ago, uh, Carrie and I had a chance to go on a, a little vacation to Mexico. And by the way, thank you to the congregation for uh, recognizing our ministry here and, and sort of, I guess, uh, 
blessing us with that, that trip. Thank you very much. Um, last week, I sent out an email that had a thank you attached to it and a picture. Oh, here's the picture. Um, don't we look happy? We just look so happy and, uh, and tan or red. Well, I, know I look red. You know, Carrie looks more tan. But um, we, had, we had a great time. It was, it was awesome, like almost the entire time. But there's something kind of ironic about this picture that you would have never known just by looking at the picture because we look so happy. Is that, and I have Carrie's permission to uh, share this, uh, I did ask her. Earlier, earlier in the day, just a few hours before this, you know, arm around, smiling, happy, we were not talking to each other. <laughs> And, and I also will be honest that it was mostly my fault, right? Well, it was all my fault, is better said. But, but the thing is, like, I'm, I am so surprised looking back on it that this would happen because we're in the middle of a beautiful place. There's sun and beach and I love my kids, but no kids for a couple days and free food and, and free drink. Um, and yet... I'm crabby and not talking. Where does that come from? Why is it that way? Because we cannot be the people we want to be. And I'm telling you, it's deep. It's deep inside of us. In fact, it gets a little bit worse. Here's our first fill-in. And we're more broken on the inside than when we appear on the outside. <laughs> like, we see in public the good parts, Right? Our families see the worst parts, and sometimes it's only us that see the even worse parts because we don't maybe act it out, but our minds, our attitudes, the things that people don't see, we're more broken on the inside than even what we appear on the outside. And that can be exhausting, be frustrating. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. I want to be singing Kumbaya, my Lord, with my hands, you know, around the fire, you know, just everything perfect. And yet it does not happen. What is that? Where does that come from? Deep inside of us is something that, a word that we don't usually talk about outside of church circles. It's, it's the word sin. And, and sin, by its very nature, is something that means that you've messed up, but, but sin's definition of missing the mark has a God connection to it. Not only have I disappointed my family or my spouse or work, sin is, is something bigger and heavier than that. And that's why we don't like to use the word sin, because we know it's heavy. Instead, oftentimes we like to use the word mistake, you know, like I just made a mistake and everyone makes mistakes, right? But most of the time, the things that cause us guilt, the things that really cause us to get down on ourselves, they're not mistakes, they're sin. Mistake is like when you're driving down the highway and you miss an exit. A sin is different. A mistake is when you're eating your hamburger and a piece of, a little bit of ketchup falls on your shirt and you get a stain. That's a mistake. Sin, a lot of times we know what we're doing when we're doing it, and yet we still do it. We know what priorities we are sort of 
missing when we make certain decisions, yet we still make them. We know that we should be talking and not being, I should be talking and not being crabby, and yet I'm not talking and being crabby. It's not a mistake. It's a sin. And when a person comes to recognize the deepness of that and that I need to own it, probably, probably one of the the biggest feelings that a person might have if it's just left to be there is guilt. Because you look back and you see how sin ruined a relationship or how sin ruined um, a career or how sin ruined a day, whatever it might be. And I think all of us have this inborn, God-given feeling and knowledge that not only sin is a, a ruining of a relationship at times with people, but that it's also something between us and God. So what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that guilt? And just let it sit there and fester and become cynical and crabby? People try a lot of things. Um, people really try to dive into their career to make them feel better about themselves because of things in their past that make them feel bad. But that only lasts so long. People medicate, people drink too much to just kind of try to ignore the, the guilt or the, the feelings about the past. None of those things work. They may work for a day, they may work for a time, but they're not the solution that we need. The heart of Christianity is the solution to the biggest problem that you have and the biggest problem that I have. One that not only can cause guilt, but also can ruin eternity. And that's the solution that I'd like to to talk with you today about. And honestly, like I said before, I want to start in the Old Testament before we get to the New Testament because in the Starting Point series, I want you to see the great connection there is, the symmetry throughout the entire Scripture. Now, a a quick read or a first read of the Old Testament, and it's hard to even recognize Christianity today based just on the Old Testament. And, And here's why. Because it just seems so archaic and so barbaric. I mean, some of the things that God commanded the people to do in the Old Testament... Like, if, if we did them today, PETA would be picketing on the corner of our church here because one of the central things that God followers in the Old Testament were asked to do was to make sacrifices of animals, and not in the most humane way, okay? On a daily basis, on a monthly ma- basis, on an annual basis, thousands and thousands of animals killed, throats slit, and blood poured out. <laughs> Let me give you a contrast here for a moment. When you come to Bethlehem, um, one of the things we really try to do is to make you feel like a guest. Um, our ushers and our greeters, we tell them, the way that you are to act is how you would treat a guest in your home. Because we want everyone, whether it's the first time or the hundredth time, to feel like this is a place of welcome and joy. We do our best at that. That would not be how you felt when you went to, they didn't call it church, but when you went to church in the Old Testament. You would not have felt comfortable. You would have felt very uncomfortable. And the reason is, it goes back to these sacrifices. 
Our altar, clean, taken care of. Their altar, taken care of, but blood all over it. There was blood everywhere near the altar. Animals being killed often. I wonder at what age parents brought their kids to watch this. Because it's, it's not like, you know, your normal children's message. Let's put it that way. It was an in-your-face bloodletting. Uh, the Passover, it was the biggest holiday celebration of the Old Testament. It was a remembrance of how uh, God delivered his people from Egypt through the the parting of the Red Sea, and it was a looking ahead to uh, a coming Savior. Well, on the Passover, historians say that in Jerusalem, 250,000 lambs on average were slaughtered, were killed, blood let out. The altar in the temple had a irrigation or a drainage system just for all the blood. And the valley right next to the Temple Mount called the Kidron Valley, on the time of Passover, (laughs) it was filled with blood of lambs like a river of blood. There was blood everywhere. What's up with all the blood? Well, Moses gives a little bit of a clue into what the blood was about in this passage from Leviticus 17. Moses says that the life of an animal, of a creature, is in the blood. Basically what he's saying is if an animal has no blood, it's not going to have life. And I have given it, the animal and the blood, to you to make atonement, to make up for yourselves on the altar. And so it is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. What Moses is saying is... As much as you want to clean up your life and change your life, and we should work on those things, it is not going to make up for the past. He also is saying there are no mulligans where you can just ignore the past. We need to address the past. God needed to address the past. And the only way he could address the past and atone for it or to make up for it is with blood. Now, the other thing we come to find out through all of this is how God feels about sin. Our next fill-in, that sin is a big deal. Um, Sometimes I think we go back and forth between um, feeling really guilty about the sin in the past, and then there's other times where in certain areas of life where we just quickly bypass it and don't think anything of the attitude or the activity that we're doing. With all the animal sacrifices and all the blood, one of the things God wanted us to realize is that sin is a big deal, that it does need addressing. But the book of Hebrews tells us that the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament, here's the connection, were not enough. So what were they there for? Why all the bloodletting in the Old Testament? Let's go ahead to Hebrews chapter 10. Let's hear what the writer says. He says that the law, that is the laws about sacrifices, they're only a shadow of the good things that are coming. They help you look ahead to the good things. They're not the realities themselves. For this reason, it, the law or sacrifices, can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect, make holy, make forgiven those who come to worship. 
So they did these sacrifices. Blood was important, but the animals were not enough. Verse 2. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered those sacrifices? For the worshipers would have cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those Old Testament sacrifices, all of that blood of the Old Testament, one thing is this, that they are annual reminder of sin. When you see an animal that you raise, an unblemished lamb, let's say, die, and the blood let out, it's going to strike you, even if you've seen it before. It's a reminder of how that sin is a big deal. Verse 4. Because it is, and it's a reminder because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It wasn't just blood that was needed to get rid of sin, the solution to our sin, but it needed to be the blood of a certain substitute. Let's keep going for chapter 10, verse 5. Therefore, when Christ, when Jesus came into the world, he said, and this is kind of like he's talking to God, the Father, sacrifice and offering, Lord, you didn't desire. Sacrifices of lambs, that's not what really you desire. Bulls, not really what you desire, ultimately. But instead, what you desire is the body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you're not pleased, verse 7. Then I, Jesus speaking, said to the Father, Here I am. It's written about me in the Old Testament in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Your will for there to be a perfect substitute who would live a perfect life and then give the sacrifice that was needed. And so by that will, we, those who believe in Jesus, those who have put their trust in him, we've been made holy the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. All of the blood in the Old Testament didn't truly wipe away, wash away sin. They were meant to point ahead to the sacrifice that was made by the perfect substitute, Jesus Christ. And when you think of Jesus' death, you think about pain, you think about a cross, but the thing that you also need to think about and realize that is no irony at all, is not by accident, is how much blood is all over Jesus' death. I mean, he died in one of the most bloody ways you could. It's not, it's not ironic. It was God's plan. It was God showing that there's this beautiful connection between his promise in the Old Testament and his fulfillment in the New Testament. The Lamb of God, Jesus, his blood everywhere, whether it be with the crown of thorns and the blood coming down his head, whether it be his flogging, that is a whipping where it basically chewed up your back and blood is everywhere, obviously nails through his hands and feet, blood all over the cross, even at the very end, after he had died, the, the soldiers, checking to see if he was dead or not, the Bible records, put a spear into his side, and out came a flow of blood. God wanted us to see the connection between his promises in the Old Testament and the fulfillment in the New. And what he wanted us to realize with all that blood flow is that Jesus gave the payment that was needed 
Not to make us better on the outside, not to make us feel better about ourselves, but to absolutely get rid of that sin from the past so that then we also can get rid of the guilt that we have in the present. The perfect payment in our place. And so unlike any other man-made system, in getting right with God or feeling good about yourself and your relationship with God, all those man-made systems, if you'll see, there is a connection to them. They're all about how do I act? What list of rules do I follow to feel better about my sin and to feel better about my relationship? But in contrast to that, the real plan that God gives is our next fill-in. Jesus doesn't just have the solution for sin, Jesus came to be the solution for sin. Jesus is the solution, and he is the perfect solution. There is no question that your sin from the past does not need to load you down anymore. Even the biggest thing that, that you've done that you feel the worst, worst about, yes, it's good to feel bad about sin, in the sense that let's not do that again. <laughs> but to let it ruin your present, it's not what God wants. Because he's forgiven it. In fact, it probably downplays Jesus' sacrifice when we don't live in the joy of forgiveness, free and full. I wanted to wrap this message up with a, a little illustration um, to help you understand the completion of what Jesus has done for you. And so I was reading a book recently, and the author uh, talked about how he and his wife had lived in uh, Brazil for a while. And he wrote about a vacation that they went on. It was like, a, I think they were gone for seven days or so. And uh, they lived in Brazil, really, really hot. It was the summertime. And they lived in a small uh, apartment. And as they were leaving, um, the author said that he remembered that he'd forgotten to unplug an appliance on top of the refrigerator. And for whatever reason, he felt like it needed to be unplugged. So he ran back into the house and he unplugged the appliance. But he really didn't unplug the appliance. He accidentally unplugged the refrigerator freezer. And so just think about that for a second. I mean, our fridge didn't work for like um, half a day once, and things started, you know, the smelling, right? Seven days in Brazil, the refrigerator freezer isn't working. They come back, and he writes about how his wife was the first one to receive the good news. And she came over to the refrigerator, opened it up, and the, the stench was just unbearable. He said that she gagged and ran to the bathroom, Okay. There was a mess inside the fridge. What do you do with the mess? Well, I suppose there's things you could do. You could focus on the outside of the refrigerator. And you could go and grab some air freshener. And you could spray down the fridge, all right? There's a mess inside, spray it down. 
By the way, um, we used to try this with the diaper bins in the bathroom. It just makes it wor- smell worse, okay? I'd rather smell stinky diapers than this with stinky diapers, okay? Anyway, that's not, that's not going to work. You know why? You know why it won't work? Because there's a mess inside. And the mess needs to be taken care of. <laughs> or maybe I could do my best to just tell the fridge how great it is. And I could say, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and people like you. You're the best fridge in all the neighborhood. And its self-esteem might go up a little bit. But you know why it won't help? Because there's a mess inside, and it stinks. I mean, I could, I could decorate the fridge, you know, grab some, some stuff to just make it look better. Put a nice lamp on top. It can be the best look. It's kinder and gentler times than that hour in Mexico right there. Um, I can make it look like the best fridge in all the neighborhood. But guess what? It looks good on the outside, but there's a problem. What's the problem? There's a mess inside. A lot of people in our world are trying to address the mess by dolling up the outside by trying to be successful in a worldly way, by trying to ignore the stink. Jesus knew, God knew, that the only way for there, the only solution that there could be is to get rid of the mess. If you want to get rid of guilt, you need to realize that the mess is gone. And so Jesus came and poured out his blood, not to make the outside look better, not to make us more successful in this life. He came to get rid of the mess inside, to get rid of the stink. And when you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus, the mess is gone. And yes, I said before at the very beginning that we can never totally be the people we want to be. And that is true. There's still a little bit of a mess inside. But the consequences of the mess and the need for the mess to totally demoralize us and to make us, get us down, with Jesus Christ, it does not need to do that anymore. Because Jesus has gotten gotten rid of the mess. So when you're feeling guilty, When you're feeling like the the past is bringing you down, our last fill-in for today, when it's hard to forgive yourself, remember, yourself has already been forgiven. When it's hard to forgive yourself, say, say, self, I've already been forgiven through Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of times, our biggest sins of the past become, as I've been saying, the biggest thing that brings us down. What if based on this knowledge of the solution of Christ's sacrifice and his blood, if we changed our thinking like God would want us to and make our biggest failures and sins of the past not the biggest examples of how rotten we are, but what if we made them the biggest examples of how big God's grace is? In a weird kind of way, the messier our past, the more appreciative we might be of the bigness of God's grace. And that doesn't mean, you know, go mess things up so that you can appreciate God's grace more. 
What it does mean is to not allow, because God doesn't want you to, the past to continually get you down in the present. There's only one solution. God gave it. His son, Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, uh, this time in the Word and uh, for that um, thread of your salvation plan as we see it in Old Testament sacrifices and then as we see it fulfilled through your Son and his giving of his blood on the cross. Today, may every single one of us rejoice in the forgiveness that we've been given full and free through his sacrifice. He, your son, is the solution that we need. We pray this in Jesus' name and also pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. At this time, our ushers will be gathering our thank offerings as uh, we have a chance to give back to God of what he's given us. It's also uh, 